I'm Professor Neil Feinstein, and this is Conversations with the Creators. Sponsored by St. John's Master's Program in Integrated Advertising Communications, ideas thrive here. Everyone get ready. You are about to hear some of the smartest marketing thinking from one of the best CMOs anywhere. Today, my colleague, Professor Audrey Siegel-Mavara, talks to Executive Vice President, Chief Branding and Marketing Officer at Lowe's Companies, Marissa Thalberg. Ah, Marissa Thalberg, hashtag defy expectations, push boundaries, and all the while telling stories that connect brands and consumers in meaningful ways and doing her best to do some good in the world at the same time. Marissa is in the midst of what can only be described as a great career. She's been among Forbes top 50 CMOs for three consecutive years. She's just been selected as a 2021 New York Women in Communications Matrix Award winner in the company of women such as Aquafina and Hoda Kote and past winners, including Halle Berry, Gloria Steinem, and Gina Davis. Kudos to Marissa. She's been on the agency and client side, was an early adopter of digital communication with a whole brand perspective that pairs fresh thinking with institutional knowledge. Not bad, not bad at all. So Marissa, let's jump in. We've got a lot to talk about and I wanna hear, and I know the students wanna hear everything you can tell us. Why don't you get us started with a little bit of how you got where you are, um, kind of maybe the good, the bad, and the ugly to this moment um, of your career? Oh, that's a nice short question to start with. (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) Where does one begin with with a question like that? Uh, I guess because of the nature of this audience, I'll start with you know, being at college, and I feel really old to say this, but I have a daughter who's a senior in college now. We spend a lot of time talking about that first step, that next step in careers, and how do you know? And of course, like the reality is I didn't know. I didn't know. I wasn't like some of those people that, you know, have a stethoscope and their, you know, toy play box when they're three and that's it. Like they're going to be a doctor. Uh, I did use back then that time in college before internships were de rigueur uh, to just, I really was motivated. So I, I did explore a lot. I did uh, create internship opportunities for myself. And it was really not so much out of the thought of having a resume as, as just wanting to figure it out, wanting to work, wanting to see what I could do. And I really was interested in broadcasting and I guess some form of communication uh, that now I look back and I realize what I really loved being was a creative storyteller. I don't think I really understood it that way then. So I found myself in advertising because I did have a terrific internship experience and it was exciting and it was back in New York where I was from and it was a wonderful way to start my career. It was in the early nineties. It was super dynamic then. Audrey, I know you remember. And, yes, it was. <laughs> um, you know, and you really also got unbelievable training. I wonder what it's like today. Um, 
So at a very young age, I was contributing in, in what I believe to be and still believe to be a very meaningful strategic way. I also really, really had a bit of like existential angst that I had found myself in a profession where there was this other group literally called creatives and I wasn't one of them. It just really gave me an identity crisis because I thought I was more that. I mean, I often visualize myself wanting to walk around the ad agency with like one of those sandwich boards that said, no, really I'm creative too. (laughs) So um, even though my career was advancing, I wound up actually leaving, which is a, a story for another time and becoming a TV producer for a bit. And you know, trying to still satisfy my creative tendencies in some extracurricular ways. But by the age of 30, and I felt old and not a prodigy anymore, but I was only 30, I became the head of um, global advertising for what started as Calvin Klein Cosmetics, which all those fragrances, and they were just a huge business back then as well as a whole bunch of other designer licenses and was part of Unilever. So the company then became renamed Unilever Cosmetics International. And it was pretty exciting. You know, it was pretty exciting. It was glamorous. I had a really, you know, like an exciting office and it was, it was cool. It was really cool. It was also, it was just high enough to understand some of the larger corporate politics and being in a parent company and, um, And I started to worry if I had the right experiences. So I I left um, when I thought the party might be winding up. And I was right. Ultimately, Unilever divested those businesses a few years later. But I made my first, uh, well, maybe my first really colossally bad move. Um, And I, I went completely with my head and not at all with my heart and became SVP of marketing for this home furnishings company. And, you know, here's, here's one of the first lessons. I, I had good instincts about where the world was going, just like at Calvin Klein and I was doing digital before it was a thing. I was attracted to this idea of an omni-channel business before anyone knew to call it omni-channel. There was something really interesting. I wanted certain skills that I didn't have yet. I was right about it. They were very intellectual decisions. Culturally, I hated it. It was like going from being like with the cool kids to, I don't know, this like sleepier, just, I was just running on a different lane. And to make matters worse, the company mismanaged um, how they moved to imports and wound up in a chapter 11 filing. So here I am in my thirties, you know, I had this one sort of you know, exciting job. And now I felt like, what have I done to myself? And it was really psychologically scarring and scary financially. I mean, my husband and I both worked, but it major breadwinning uh, responsibilities. And I feel like we don't talk about that part as much, you know, careers aren't just indulgences. They provide for ourselves. They provide for our families. And it's, it's not pragmatic to take that out of the equation, especially those of you who may continue to live in New York. It's not a cheap place, you know? So, um, so all this is going on. I'm now a mom and that's a whole other topic of conversation, but, um, you know, I guess to try to fast forward after a few years of trying a couple of different things and not really feeling like I was where I was meant to be. And it was really hard. The lesson I probably learned was humility and resilience, you know, um, not, not to be so full of myself, to be able to just, just do the work and take on things and try and get myself back to where I wanted to be. And that ultimately happened when I went to the SJ Lauder companies in the first 
corporate digital marketing role, the first corporate marketing role and the first executive digital marketing role. This is 2007. No one even really yet knows what it is. All they know is that it's uh, there's e-commerce and it's small but growing. And social media, by the way, in 2007, wasn't even yet called social media. Do you know that? It was called Web 2.0. Wow, Web 2.0. What are we up to now? (laughs) Hi, that's a great question. I just remember like my first presentations were telling people about Web 2.0. Yep, I remember it well. You remember? I remember it well. Audrey, you were in media then too. And it was like the whole world was about to just explode in ways that we couldn't imagine. And, you know, I joked, and this is a very female thing too. It was like, am I qualified for this? Women do that um, a lot. And someone said to me, and it kind of stuck with me and it sounds funny, like it was, but it became my joke with myself, you know, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. And it's a little bit of a terrible phrase, but the point was in an emerging world, my goal was not to know everything. My goal was to try to just get one step ahead of it, figure it out and then bring it into the organization and teach it. And that's what I did. And I got good at it. I got good at making sense of it and using empathy to get people to figure, to, to want to change from very traditional ways of thinking. And a funny thing happened is I suddenly had this growing reputation as like a digital marketing pioneer. And I thought that was funny because I really thought I was just a marketer. Well, but think about it, a pioneer, you were just that one step ahead, but that was a big step. It was a huge step. So I want to I take you... Yeah. And this conversation to everything you've been talking about. Yeah. And how did you then harness everything oh. you'd learned, that digital first kind of mentality, that yeah. willingness to be a pioneer? How do you take that forward to build a brand? I mean, ultimately, that's what you do. That's, that's, that's at the core of you is you're a builder. Um, so what do you have to do? to build a brand. I love that. And I'll just to kind of answer your question by rounding off, like I gave a lot of the backstory, but the truth is the last 15 or so years of the career of my career are the parts that feel most meaningful to me. But I think it's disingenuous not to acknowledge the bumps and twists and get you there, you know, and I make sure my daughters understand that because now they see some of the accolades and the cool stuff and how you introduced me on this, but it's like, it took a lot to get here. And I think that's real. And yeah, you have to put the work and take take the punches sometimes to, to be able to get there. So the last 15 years, three big company tenures, and they're wildly different. And I think that is now part of my brand. I went from luxury beauty, building, as you said, you're right, I do think I'm a builder, building a whole new way of marketing across this portfolio of brands to becoming the chief marketing officer of Taco Bell. And that was an unbelievable ride. And I love talking about what I did there. And I'm really proud of it to now. My current tenure is, as you mentioned, as the executive vice president, chief brand and marketing officer of Lowe's Home Improvement. So luxury beauty to fast food to big box, $90 billion home improvement, wildly different. And so now I'll say, so what have I, What does that mean? How can you be a builder when you're not even necessarily the, the industry expert is you have to bring your subject matter expertise, your right. capability expertise, and your leadership skills, along with 
both the curiosity and the humility and the uh, agility to learn fast, to not pretend that you know it all. That's what I probably learned from being a digital leader is the days are gone when the person at the top of the heap knows everything. It's just, it doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. It's the world's moving too fast. So when you graduate students and you're in a role, you might know more about certain things than your boss, but you have to figure out how you introduce that in a way that's additive and that you're builders of your, you know, your organization and, and, and not threatening so that everyone feels like you're all kind of mixing my metaphors here, kind of rowing together, boat in the same direction. So that's, that's what I think is, is how I've approached it is I just gave an internal talk. Um, we do a lot of education of our own people at Lowe's just yesterday I did this and a sort of a similar question came up and I said, I think what it comes down to is I've learned how to be a teacher and a student at the same time. And I'm constantly both. You know, it's also like being a leader and a follower at the same time. Yeah. We have to be able to lead. We also have to be able to learn that's while right. we're leading. And that's the beauty, I think, of, of the culture that we're currently existing in, where we do have young people with tremendous knowledge in areas like social media, which we now can call it that, right? And beyond that. And we have more experienced people with more strategic knowledge about how to build, how to move things forward, how to integrate one without the other, we're really not doing the job. Yes, I agree with that. And I think it also speaks to these new, they shouldn't be new, but sort of newer archetypes of leadership that I think have really kind of cemented a little bit more in this post-digital age based on all the things we're talking about where, you know, you have to, like it used to be the archetype of leadership was very dominant, very authoritative. Now you hear about qualities that weren't talked about before, like vulnerability and leadership, that's like an oxymoron. Um, empathy and leadership, like what? That's soft. But, you know, those soft skills are actually incredibly effective. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's nice to see at least some growing acknowledgement of just the true value that they play. And I think in a world that is just filled with change, I mean, need we look at the past 18 months uh, any further than that to say we are all living in uncertainty right now. And professionally, I mean, here we are having this conversation and my corporation, like every other one, doesn't really know how to think about, and we're planning as best as we can a return to office, but you know, what will that really look like? What's the future of work going to look like? And you as I said before, you have no choice but to be adaptive. Well, and one of the things, I'm sorry, Marissa, but one no, of the no, things we ahead. talked about in our prep that I think um, really uh, fits with what we're talking about here is using the reality of what we're living through to make your brand receptive to, adaptive to, important to, what the consumer is experiencing. And you talked about, and I was hoping you could give some examples of how Lowe's through your leadership and, and, and that of others has been able to kind of put their arms around the consumer and help them through it. 
Yeah, I think that if I were to say that I have any particular gifts as a marketer, it does feel like I do have a really good intuition um, with regards to how to find this intersection. But that is kind of, to me, the really cool part of marketing between uh, consumer psychology, or let's just say psychology, uh, consumers are people, and culture, like I love things. That's why I think I'm still at the end of the day as, as complicated as they are attracted to big brands is because they get to be in the landscape of our culture. Um, and so that for me, it's this three, three-legged stool or an intersection between these three things, psychology, culture, and business. Um, and that's pretty exciting when you think about an industry that allows you and, and forces you um, to really integrate and insights and understanding um, and then infuse the intelligence of what more and more of the data is telling us and just the really hard sciencey part of the data analytics side of what marketing is becoming but also the creativity the creativity part and at the end of the day how we just connect as human beings and brands are not human but brands have humanistic qualities when they're good. And they and and I feel like that's, I always see that as my job is like, how do I help carve from this clay what this brand was sort of most meant to be? Like, kind of like we as people are on a journey to sort of self-actualize, <laughs> be the best versions of ourselves that we can be. That's what brands have to do too. And so getting to Lowe's, I mean, that sounds sort of foofy, but was obviously with an unbelievable amount of business pressure and, and with the start of COVID, unbelievable new considerations with regards to public health and safety, our employees' safety. I mean, so many unknowns and, and, and just an unbelievable sense of responsibility to guide this very, very big ship the right way. And what I am proud of is we didn't shirk away from that responsibility like some competitors did. And I really did. I was very new in the job. And so it was, you know, my first assertion in a new place of saying, this is, this is our moment to stand up for who we are and how we want to show up for consumers. This is not the five, you know, for $10 mulch offer, even though no joke, that's a big deal in spring. <laughs> home improvement as I've quickly learned. You're not going to grow your garden without the mulch. How am I talking mulch? I used to be talking about, you know, luxury skincare. And then I started talking about the Doritos Loco Taco. And now I'm talking about mulch. Like, who am I? How did this happen? But, you know, I can push past that because at the end of the day, what interests me is the idea of like, here we are at the seminal moment in our history where home means more to us than it's ever meant before as a place of refuge and safety and adaptation, right? As suddenly our dining rooms are becoming offices and our dens are becoming, and you know, schools and all of that was like, oh my gosh, Lowe's really plays an important role in this. Like out of crisis came opportunity. At least we chose to see it that way, to be who we wanted to be. And we made a lot of progress as a brand. Now the hard part is, where do you go from here and how do you keep moving it? And how do you keep driving a retail's tough for anyone considering a career in retail? It's tough and it is not slow. So you got to be up for that level of intensity, but I am, I am up for that level of intensity and uh, having to kind of redo an entire function, an entire team in the middle of all this, but 
it it's part of the part of the excitement, part of the challenge. At least that's how you have to embrace it. Well, I I, I certainly agree with you, um, and I think that one of the things you you were just talking about, it makes me think of you, and it also makes me think about how we think about consumers who are just people, but they are whole people. And, and so these are people who- That's right. They, they wear makeup, they eat tacos, and they need to worry about the mulch. They need to furnish their homes. They need to be complete people. And so when we think about consumers, we think about them often mm-hmm. in buckets, you know, the person who does this, the, the individual who does that. But when we think about them holistically, that's when we really can, going back to build the brand. One of the areas that I wanted to probe with you was this idea of mask brands, right? Big need to reach a lot of people, need to sell a lot of everything. And so the need for mass media, but also recognizing this digital opportunity of one-to-one and how do you, how do you effectively reach the masses with that combination of mass media and one-to-one media? Well, another softball question, Audrey, my goodness. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, you know, first of all, it's all getting redefined. Like what is even mass media when you get into a world of what's now called addressable TV? Like what is even TV anymore? Is it what we call TV isn't really TV. It's so much of it is like the content that was on TV, but we stream it through our laptops. And so that, by the way, is important because it has totally different implications to what's possible from an advertising standpoint. And it means that may not be just mass anymore. Exactly. And then conversely with digital, I never really thought about it this way, but it's almost like we're running into a little bit of the opposite problem where all the great stuff that we've been able to do that sometimes people thought was creepy in terms of really following a a person. Well, you know, we're talking about kind of hitting in the next couple of years, the quote end of the cookie. And it's like, well, what's that all going to mean? I can't do that kind of really, really great targeting. Well, in some cases, yes, we'll be able to do that. In other cases, I feel like we might be rewinding the clock 10, 15 years and back to just context. Well, I want to watch, I want to reach people who I think watch sports. So I'm going to, that's how I'm going to decide to buy ESPN.com. Wow. So how do you wrap your head around all that? Well, fortunately, I don't have to be the only one to figure it out. You're not alone. No, but I think, um, so the answer is, what we're all trying to do as marketers is figure out how you optimize, how you use different channels together and separately. And there are tools. We use a tool called media mix modeling or sometimes marketing mix modeling that to be honest, I used to be a little skeptical of, but I kind of like what it's helping illuminate for my company. And let me give you an example of that. I think in a traditional retail company, the way you just phrased the question would have been interpreted by, let's say, traditional retail people as there's the hardworking, like the paid search ads that drive commerce, and then the brand part as if brands like a soft, fluffy, ineffective word that you put on TV. Guess what? That's not really true. In fact, when we model it, we find out our TV advertising is some of our most 
high return on ad spend marketing. We do, but I still feel like we play old tapes on this. And, um, you know, there's, there's all different ways. So then when you think about effectiveness and what you're trying to do, and you do have to, I, I do believe in telling a story. I also believe in the power of earned media. You know, marketing's not advertising alone. So one of my, I think the things I've become known for is creating these brand moments that get a lot of earned media buzz. And, you know. Absolutely. Why don't you tell us about one of them? Well, okay, I will. Um, probably after doing a whole bunch of really interesting ones at Taco Bell. And the thing that I, I really want to underscore is there are brands that do things just to be gimmicky and like stunts. And I really, I really do um, like things that feel like that, but actually if anyone took the time to peel them back, they'll realize they're actually incredibly strategic, which like, I kind of love that it's not so obvious, but they are. So with Taco Bell, I knew exactly where we wanted to take the brand as a culture centric lifestyle brand, separate us from some of the negative stigmatization of fast food. So, you know, start to think about all these things you're trying to do. And then the idea of putting this bigger lifestyle platform, Taco Bell made all the sense in the world. And now lots of brands have copied it, which is I guess flattery, but annoying. <laughs> but, you know, we created a whole merchandising layer of lifestyle because people want to wear the brand. I mean, how cool is that? And we made it cool. We did a collab with Forever 21. I mean, it blew the roof off. We did then we, and ultimately wound up doing the ultimate manifestation of Taco Bell as a total lifestyle and created the Taco Bell Hotel in Palm Springs. And people are still talking about it. So, um, you know, with Lowe's, I'm not, I don't believe in playing your same playbook. You could just take the learnings forward. And, you know, what I realized was Lowe's has an opportunity to better, um, better build a perception as a real destination for style and decor. It's not just the functional parts of home improvement. And we sell all this amazing stuff, especially online that people don't know about. And that led me to do a partnership with New York Fashion Week. I mean, people thought- I was hoping you would talk about that. Yeah. So the fact, I mean, that was definitely kind of, dropping a mic early and saying, we're, you know, I'm here, we're here. And Lowe's and New York Fashion Week, how's this became, or let me say this differently, Lowe's became the number one topic of social conversation across all of New York Fashion Week. Lowe's, not any single designer, not New York Fashion Week itself. So, and it's just open people's minds. Now we have other ways of, and we're bringing in curators just to show people with their aesthetic what is cool at Lowe's like Iris Atfell who is a personal style icon of mine by the way she is turning 100 at the end of this month Lowe's is 100 in 2021 so it was sort of irresistible not to put us together so you know that kind of thinking as you see it's it's that's where disruptive creativity with a purpose it was the real joy I got out of the job, but, you know, having to figure it out against some really hard and challenging, you know, financial targets and competitive pressures and all that. That's the, also the reality that doesn't, isn't, you know, very real. So as I anticipated, we could talk forever. I, I mean, <laughs> I've got six more questions and, you know, two more minutes. Uh, so what I do want to ask you is, not that you have a crystal ball. No one has a crystal ball. Anyone who thought they did, certainly the past 18 months has clouded it considerably. But looking ahead just a little bit, just maybe 
an inch beyond where we are. What do you see, what do you anticipate as kind of a, a, a next opportunity um, to mine for brand building? What, what's a, what's a, a place you'd like, to, you'd like to spend a little time exploring? Hmm. Tell me more about your question for Lowe's. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, we talked about, you know, moving kind of, you know, more digital into um, a non-digital world. And we talked about the, you know, kind of finding those unexpected connections and, and, and bringing a brand into places, perhaps like New York Fashion Week, that, that you don't expect the brand to be. So what's, what's kind of a, another, you know, way forward that perhaps is not anticipated, but something that interests you? I just, it's really hard to think of a, a kind of a one size fits all answer to that because it's so, it really is so dependent on the product, the service, the industry, et cetera, and where the opportunities lie. But, you know, for me, I do like trying to find in the sweet spot of buzz and business where there's, where there's something that in a, you know, particularly when you think about it in a world where it's Tension is just so unbelievably fragmented and, you know, we're looking to feel good and also have our needs met, you know, um, this, this, so I said the intersection of buzz and business, but then you could, the other way to kind of visualize this, if that's an intersection is there's sort of this weird spectrum on the one hand, we, and we kind of want it all these days as consumers, we want it to be so frictionless and so easy and Think about the success of Amazon and you know, you under, we all understand that. And that's like one poll. But then on the other side, we actually really do crave experience and we crave things that feel bespoke and we crave things that have badge value and bragging rights and delight us and surprise us. And, and I think trying to find how you can play at both ends of the spectrum in legitimate ways for a brand and a business is actually the frontier right now. That's exactly um, where I was hoping you would go. And I'm changing your hashtag to Marissa Thalberg, hashtag sweet spot of business <laughs> and buzz. I That's love okay. it. You don't really have to. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for giving Thank us so much you. time. I'm so happy to join you and I wish all of your students the best of luck in their future. Thank you. You'll be hearing from them. <laughs> this has been Conversations with the Creators. Sponsored by St. John's Graduate Program in Integrated Advertising Communications. Special thanks to all who helped create these podcasts, including Professor Audrey Siegel Mavora, Professor Edrix Fontanilla, Kevin James, and the Advertising Graduate Assistants. Keep on ideating.